Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from the world. All right, it's a Stackwaddy game, which occurred to me this Wrong. week in the course of uh, listening to a really interesting podcast from um, Bloomberg all about TikTok um, and how TikTok uh, doesn't just uh, doesn't just find talent; it actually grooms talent, it identifies talent. Anyway, loads of hip hop stars who are kind of TikTok stars have got these interesting names that always seem self consciously rather juvenile. This is good because I, I almost certainly will have heard of none of them. So there you go. Convergent territory here. Good start. Good yeah, start. Yeah, yeah. Greenfield site. And I thought if they weren't hip-hop stars, they could possibly be stars of children's comics of years gone oh, by. Oh, okay. they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they could have come from the Dandy or the Topper or the Beezer or the Beano or I don't yeah, know yeah. what. Okay. And so it's up to you. To decide which are these, okay? Are they Smithy? Are they hip? (laughs) (laughs) Are they hip hop stars or are they children's (laughs) comic heroes? Okay, here we go. Spottom Gotham, Spottom Gotham, hip hop star. That's brilliant. Or well, I certainly don't remember Spottom in any of the comics I read. So I'm saying that he or she is a hip hop star. He is indeed. American yeah. rapper and songwriter, best known for his 2020 single, Beatbox. Okay, here we go. Baby Crockett. Baby Crockett. Hip-hop Baby Crockett, son. I'm afraid, is the <laughs> is the son of Davy Crockett in the Beano, <laughs> wasn't he? Apparently in the Beezer, I think. Oh, the Beezer. Um, it was in the Beezer, I remember uh, him anyway. In appearance, he was a toddler aged around, aged around three, wearing red shorts and pumps, spoke yeah. in a childlike manner. He was the inspiration for Babyface Finlayson, I think, wasn't he? Do you remember him? He was the fastest uh, bandit in a pram or something. I can't remember now. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Another one. Rich the Kid. Rich the Kid. Rich Rich the the Kid. kid. Is that a hip-hop star or a children's comic hero? I think he's probably a hip-hop star, Rich. He is, an American rapper and uh, and songwriter. Made an album called The World Is Yours. What about Little Iodine? Little Iodine, hip-hop star or children's comic hero? Must be a hip-hop star because you couldn't... Iodine is too complicated a concept for a six-year-old to think in a, in a magazine. I don't know. Am no, right? it was first seen during the 1930s in a sporting role in Hattie, Hatlow's popular Gap panel, They Do It Every Time. Oh, OK. Her purpose was to serve as a pesky nuisance to the strip, strip star Henry, and her behaviour caused endless misery for a mild-mannered Easily unsettled father. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, little, what about what about little baby? Little baby, little baby, hip hop star, old children's comic. I'm going hip hop star again. I, I okay. don't know why. Am I right? You're right. Again. Lil spelled Lil. Yeah, presumably. yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Rose to mainstream fame in 2017 following yeah. the release of his mixtape "Perfect Timing." Okay, I, I was a card-carrying member of the Nasher Fang <laughs> Club. 
So <laughs> with a little hairy badge with Nash, and you got a little booklet with Nash words, none of which I can now remember, the sort of vocabulary of dog speak. But uh, yeah, so I was quite in the deep end with the Beano, certainly. Anyway, go okay. on. Okay, what do you think? Cuddles and Dimples, Cuddles and Dimples, comic book star, hip-hop duo. What do you think? Cuddles and Dimples. Just not aggressive enough to be a hip-hop star, surely. Must be comic book. No, it was comic strip published in the oh, right. in, 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 in 1986. Two toddler brothers who liked to cause double the trouble wherever they went. Uh, <laughs> okay, what about what about Buster Cap? Buster Cap, Buster Cap, hip hop song, or or children's comic book hero? Buster Cap is brilliant. Buster Cap. Which Buster is because uh, to, to cap somebody is to shoot them with a with an illegal pistol, isn't it? So, so Buster gonna... Cap means shoots. It must be a hip hop star. I mean, it must be. No, it's not. It's actually no. a, an offspring of Andy Cap. Oh no, you're kidding! Back in the day, it's a spin-off of Andy Cap. Uh, debuted in uh, 1960 in the magazine Buster. Okay, so um, my favorite Andy Cap uh, strip, the one where uh, he goes to see the doctor. Remember that one? No, go on. He says, Doctor, Doctor, I just, I'm really, really worried. I just haven't, I just haven't slept for days. Doctor says, Well, I'll give you a couple of tablets to take before you go to bed at night. He says, The nights are fine. It's the days I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> you remember he always curled up on the sofa <laughs> with, <laughs> a fa- with a fag. With a fag. With a fag. Anyway. On. All right, one more. Fatty yeah. Fudge. Fatty, Fatty Fudge. fudge. Hip hop star or comic book character? It must be a comic book character. The days where you could have somebody called Fatty Fudge, which would now cause absolute outrage. Well, Quite knowing, rightly, knowing the world of hip hop, you, oh, okay. you could have a star called Fatty Fudge. He's but big and he's proud. <laughs> unfortunately, not. Go big um, or go home. This uh, came from Minnie the Mix cartoon strip, uh, alongside Minnie's other rival, Soppy Susan. Oh, that's uh, brilliant. Fatty Fudge. Obese boy with an addiction to unhealthy food, particularly confectionery. So you did very well there, but That's anyway. Not, uh, but that was fantastic. Uh, was, good work. Very good. Okay. I was trying to cook with Now you've got, you've got a game to play. Well, I've got, well, I don't really game. It's it just something that, that struck me when we were talking to Bernie Marsden. We did that podcast the other day with Bernie Marsden. He of the UFO and the White Snake. God, he was fantastic. He was lovely, wasn't he? He was, he was just terrific. the loveliest, funniest, most entertaining, <laughs> tremendous guy. But anyway, we were talking about blues. And we were talking about, because he was part of the whole blues boom, you know. And uh, in the 60s, we were talking about how... Um, so many of those groups had to have a gimmick. You had to go, in fact, specifically, the Stan Webb of Chicken Shack, whose gimmick was the uh, 30-foot guitar lead, and he could go out to the audience. Coaxial so, yeah, cable. With somebody kept paying it out, some roadie paying it out, and he'd be out there whiddling away at the he'd other end go, go around the car park, wouldn't he? He would, he would, he would. Yeah, yeah. And it struck me that, actually, if you think about it, the, the, I don't know about the vast majority, but a huge number of acts had a gimmick. Yes. And it was that gimmick that got them noticed enough to be on the television. And it was a it was a gimmick that they always had to do on their first television appearance. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the advantage was that somebody who'd only just heard of this group could then tell a mate of theirs who'd never heard of this group what they were. They could yes. sum it up, in a, which I thought was really, really interesting. So I've, I thought I'd scribbled a few down. I mean, The Who had about four gimmicks, didn't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go on. The, the, well, the, 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 the windmilling guitar. The windmilling guitar. The, the yeah. moon's cymbal thrashing, smashing guitars, the other thing. Jimi Hendrix? Oh, well, they play guitar with his teeth. And uh, set it on fire. And, and set it on fire, you know, on certain occasions. Yeah, definitely. He had to do uh, Elvis, hip gyrations. That's hey, what you'd say. Yeah, you'd definitely. say, Who, have you seen this guy on the television? And he kind of dances this really, really outrageous way. You know? Well, that's the why Beatles. they called him. That's why they called me Elvis the Pelvis. Elvis the it? Pelvis. Absolutely. And when he was when he was de- depicted on <laughs> as joining the army in the Bilko show, he was called Elvin Pelvin. Elvin Pelvin. <laughs> that's right. He was. He was. <laughs> But the Beatles had loads. You know, they had the, the, the saying the word yeah. The word yeah was kind of... Uh, fringes. The fringes, the harmonica yeah. in the early singles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The head I, shaking, the suits. Bob yeah. Dylan, you know, I can remember Bob Dylan, when I first heard of him as being the guy who had, my sister's telling me about this guy who had a harmonica on a holder and a little peak cap, a little dust bowl did you Did you ever, on the harmonica holder front... Did you ever arrange a wire coat hang? Of course I did. There they go. Of course I did. <laughs> I could still play, you know, The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, I think, the solo. <laughs> I did. Of course I did. Everybody did. Um, Johnny Cash, War Black. Sandy Shaw. Yeah. 
that bare feet, bare feet, absolutely. Dusty Springfield. Well, panda eyes, Dusty Springfield. Eyes, he, was the, he was the he was the the mascara, yeah, yeah. mascara queen. PJ Proby. Split his trousers. Split his trousers. <laughs> it worked, oh, the shadows do a funny dog. <laughs> do a funny... No, Hank Marvey's glasses also. Oh, no, the glasses. I want, you to Ollie, ima- I want you to imagine, if you remove the glasses from Hank Marvin, the shadows are forgotten. That's what I. That's my theory. Yes, they're completely true. forgotten. Does anybody know what the ventures looked like? No, no, not, not a at clue. all. Not the shadows had a really strong visual image. Why? Which was because of Hank's Hank specs. Yeah, and the yeah. guy. And surely, when the lockdown is over, that guy will be back on Oxford Circus Tube Station, doing his acts. Where he's he, dressed he, as Hank Marvin, isn't he? As Playing Hank a little Marvin, telecaster, yeah, there you go. plays yeah. instrumentals, amazing. Yeah, yeah actually, you say the same about Buddy Holly. Actually, the glasses. And Buddy yeah. Holly was the kind of with the yodel, the kind of the strange little hook in his voice. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Jerry of, of the pacemakers, the leg kicks, the Stones. I don't know what would it be. The, would well, it be the Jagger Stones dancing, or I think it was the I think it was the scruffiness really with the Stones. Yeah. The Stones. The revolutionary thing about the Stones when they first appeared was they didn't have uniforms on, and everybody else in entertainment the uniform. That's wore right. a uniform. Revolutionary. And they didn't. They all wore yeah, something yeah. different. Yeah. Honeycombs. Oh, well, Honey Lantry. Girl the, drama. Girl the girl drama. drama. Yeah, obviously. I see. I I think this has worked all the way through. I scribbled down a couple here that, that are, I think I think are kind of more recent, and they're really they're the same thing. The Smiths when the Smiths arrived, Gladys. they were Gladio Light and Hearing Aid, weren't they? <laughs> there you go. That's the group. It's the guy who's Gladio. It's a, it, I tell you, I tell you what this is. You've got to look look at the world through the prism of the Baron Knights. Yeah. You know when the Baron Knights did pop groups in the 60s they they completely distilled all all the essential things people wanted to know about them they, they, yeah. they made them into a cartoon didn't they They made yeah. them into a cartoon yeah and yeah you have to keep on doing that to understand the things that uh, you know make a make a dent in the public consciousness uh, versus the things that don't no absolutely c6 teams really example c16 really came out first came out was a kind of one man man with a mississippi drum machine his rhythm box do you remember that Yes, yes. And that's what got him on the telly. That's what we go on the James yeah, Holland yeah, show. Yeah. That's what made him, you know. Yeah. Niels Lofgren, trampoline. Katie Tunstall. Katie Tunstall had a tape loop device where she would just record little rhythm tracks. Do you remember? Just build yeah. and build and build and create a song. Dr. Feelgood, white suit. Ricky D. Jones, beret. Yes. John Otway, <laughs> head Very sig. sig. Very the sig. Stevie yeah. Nicks, top hat. Yeah. Nick Kershaw, snood. It, it works, works, doesn't it? He's the guy. Take, a, take away the top hat from Stevie Nicks. Fleetwood Mac are forgotten. That's my yeah. view. Yeah. Stevie Nicks is the is the thing that makes Fleetwood Mac interesting. Yeah. And the thing that makes Stevie Nicks interesting is the top hat. Yes. So, yeah. Good. This is, this yeah. is what this is what the Atlas Olympus is. I love just distill an entire career. <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting because if you looked at this the way that I don't know Bernard Delphont would have looked at yeah, it, yeah, or yeah. some old variety impresario, you had an act. Yeah. And an act involved doing a thing. Yeah. Just a simple thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's and you no, did it again. It's, it's musical. musical. It's like saying, "What's your kind of what's your, what's your catchphrase?" Isn't it? You know, <laughs> really? That you always have. Okay, here's a few, just a few more. Right? Okay, Medicine Head. When when we were lads, you remember Medicine Head? Well, there's, their their hook was the bassist also played the drums. Oh, right? okay. Do you remember okay. that? So there's only yeah, two yeah. of them. White yeah. Stripes, exactly the same. Two of them. <laughs> yes. The Cramps, no bass. Culture Club had a gimmick. Boy George. Yeah, well, of course it did. Yes, they definitely, definitely, definitely. Ramones, obviously, is all gimmicks. Genesis had a gimmick, I think, which is that Peter Gabriel suddenly started wearing, kind of, dressing up as a marigold. <laughs> what was it that got him on the cover of Melody Maker? Because it worked, didn't it? Dressed as a marigold. He was, pretty much. I know. <laughs> Flock of Seagulls, hair. Hair, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, police had two gimmicks. They're blonde. Well, they're blonde. They pop, they're blonde. Reggae. They they were blonde. I think it was mainly they were blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That that was the madness. Thing. The nutty train. That's a gimmick, isn't it? Of course it is. It's brilliant. How many train. times did they have to do the nutty train? Yeah. Just to kind of prove that they were madness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, and that's why they're remembered. Well, they're still around. You know. Happy Mondays had a gimmick, which was bears. That was their gimmick, really. They, yes, it's this group. You see this group. They've got a bloke who they're not really doing. He just kind of dances. <laughs> <laughs> sort of 
Kiss, yeah. Oasis, that almost had a gimmick, which is kind of two warring brothers. That's the thing you knew about Oasis very early on. They've got two brothers who hate each other. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it works, isn't it? And oh, it's, it does. It's showbiz, and it's going on now, and it'll be going on forever. People yeah, and think it, of the thing that gets you noticed. And, and if you don't have a gimmick, forget it. Yeah. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. And uh, Dave and I have both read a, a scintillating uh, piece that's just been published in the in the New Statesman uh, about Tom Jones, who, I mean, this is staggering, really, because he's got a new record. He has therefore had 57 years in the UK charts, and it was written by an old pal of ours from Word magazine, who's joined us now. Lovely to see you, Kate Hello. Mossman. Hello. How are you, Kate? All right. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good. How are things your end? Yeah, yeah, very, very tired. My day starts at five thirty now, without without exception. Because you've got a that's not deadlines. That's children. This is your daughter. Who's how how old is she now? Fourteen months. months Next week, so it doesn't matter what time we put to bed. It starts at that time. So we've just got used to two hours of like strange, trippy television every morning, and then you know, lots of. So how do you how do you manage to fit in writing about Tom Jones around this? I know exactly. Well, the weird thing is, I mean, everyone says this, but it does make you more efficient. So I used to sit in Costa Coffee in Kentish Town and just watch Bruce Hornsby videos when I was trying to write something. (laughs) And then I'd get to that point near three o'clock in the afternoon, and you think, "Well, it's not going to happen now." And then you'd feel really depressed and go off and buy a top or something like that. that's all changed. Maybe I'm doing exactly the same. So now I have three days a week. I'm at the New Statesman three days a week as senior writer, and I just have to fit it in that time. And sometimes when she's asleep, I can do a bit, which is actually really fun. So I read a lot of old archive uh, stuff um, on pop stars to see what they used to say when they were 25 years old. And I just did that in a in a nap one day, and I just found all this interesting stuff about him that's just kind of been buried because he's such a a cartoon that you know. I I noticed that every single um, tabloid interview with him practically has as the headline um, once claimed to have slept with two hundred and fifty groupies in one year. And I thought, well, where does this even come from? And I'm sure that you know I'm I didn't do my research well enough, but. I literally couldn't find that quote anywhere. And yet but no. also, is it highly unlikely that he himself would have said that? I the idea know. that he, having been married to the same girl for whatever it was, nearly sixty years, you know, yeah, I, I it's know. hardly something he'd be announcing proudly. I don't know. He's he is a bit odd. <laughs> so yes, it wouldn't surprise me because he says a lot. He said a lot of things in his kind of down in the dumper period throughout the entire 80s, a lot of the, the interviews were about how much sex he was having. So I thought maybe there was a correlation between no hits and lots of juicy anecdotes kind of- Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep him in the headlines and it's, it's worked because he's, he's, he is like Elton John and he's never out of the tabloids. It's just some hilarious fact every single day. Like um, he once said that he was, um, he was going to do a DNA test to check whether he had any black blood in him because all the singers, all the people in America thought he was black when he came out with his voice and everything. And of course, that got him into trouble because it's not politically correct to do that these days. But, um, but yeah. it's also just a desperate attempt to get some publicity. You know? it's, <laughs> yeah. it's an absurd thing to say. Yeah, so how, how did you how did you do this? Is this a Zoom interview? Was it this was a, a Zoom interview? Yeah. Um, well, I have to say, when I started reading, I thought, "Oh, she's there. She's there <laughs> in his place." Not that you you didn't actually say this, but it's only. It's only later you said the Zoom. I thought, oh, God, it's Zoom. It was, because it does seem really yeah, close Yeah, a lovely it. little bit where you talk about him doing up his top button or something like that. So you, yeah, you, like, you feel you're in the room. He was like this disembodied head. It was really funny. It was because someone that famous, I suppose, it's just odd to see them on a Zoom. It seems weird, right? So Yeah, I suppose so, yes. He sat down. It was just like a head that filled the screen. With oh, it's my, it's my theory is that really famous people, their heads always seem huge. Their and their heads <laughs> seem <laughs> bigger. Because you're familiar with their faces. Yes, yeah, that's that's but, interesting because there was no stuff, there was no paraphernalia or books or anything. It was just like, it just looked like this disembodied egghead of this very famous <laughs> person with this very high neck like shirt. And he just sort of sat there. And you didn't see his arms for the whole time. He just sat there and he just basically just started talking. And an hour later, he was still talking. You think, you know. But he is really... getting bigger, isn't he? Because doesn't he didn't he talk about some inversion therapy where he starts today by hanging upside down in his bathroom? And how yeah. that's isn't that added Make an inch to his height or something? Yeah, this is for people with serious back problems. It stretches right. the vertebrae out for slip discs and stuff like that. And um he claims to have put an inch back on his height. So he's defeating uh, mortality by becoming 5'11 again, the way he was when he was 25 years old or something. <laughs> 
everything about him says, you know, I am not going to succumb to old age. I'm absolutely fine. And it sort of seems to be working. So. How old is he again? 80. Oh, really? God. Yeah, yeah. And he claims to just preserve it because his voice is still, it, it's really good. You know, yeah. he's the voice. Um, and he just claims to just drink a lot of water. Which is oh, well. You know, it's trouble that he's pretty much the only, apart from maybe Cliff, the only solo pop star survivor from that time because there's no Lulu, Pet Clark, Scylla, Engelbert, PJ, uh, Proby. Pet Clark's just made a record. Oh, she made a record. I'm sorry. Actually, she's older than him, I think. My God. Okay. She was a child star in the, you know. No, that's who she was. She was old when she started. That's true. But I wonder why we're so fond of him because we are always part of the kind of cultural fabric. You talk about when you see old footage of Tom Jones, you sort of say, you know, you you think about the social history and, you know, the the BBC footage of, you know, Welsh miners down the pit and things. Why? does he have that connection i don't know right. he does though it's a very clever conscious uh career move and it started you know if you think about it he did the um, kiss with the art of noise in 1988 it's that long yeah. that he started to reboot his right image, or redesign himself basically and and sort of say oh i can do any i've got such great voice i can do songs with all these kind of cool synth poppy people and you know keris matthews and stereophonics and stuff so he started it then and it's just he just i think you know i noticed when i was thinking about it in the 90s it was um there was a kind of certain love of 70s kitsch wasn't there do you remember mike flowers yeah 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 and then there was a, it was very fashionable to be Welsh, if you think about all the Welsh. <laughs> well, suddenly it was stereophonics, super very animals, I mean, there was yeah. just, it was huge, rebooted his career, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so he came along and he was of the, you know, the, the previous generation, the kind of the, the real um, uh, male voice choir kind of authentic, authentic singing generation. And then the, the thing that they've really done in the last 10 years is that they've, they put him on these uh, reality TV shows. So that right. makes you, that turns you into a kind of a coach of the industry, um, somebody who knows how it's done, somebody who knows how singing is. And, and it just sort of I think that's what's really kept him in the in the public eye in the last. Because you mentioned you mentioned because uh, I, I don't watch The Voice, uh, yeah. whereas you do and or you did for writing this piece uh, and you mentioned he was replaced for one season by boy george and he was furious about it. yes i, I love it knows why he said like oh this was a disgrace and apparently his wife linda said um i see they've knocked you off the voice then <laughs> that's that's terrible like and she basically pointed out this is the worst thing that could have happened for his career you see this oh, is, no, she, she had to tell him that that he didn't <laughs> find that out himself. this is really interesting because even if you're tom jones you're really susceptible to your wife saying, "Oh, they've, they've let you go off that telly program." Yeah, did you know? You're, ob- you're obviously slipping. Yeah, they she n- never lose that. Yeah, yeah, and she probably liked it, and he was sure. wise enough to know that if she likes it, people like yeah, it. Absolutely. But yeah. I don't know why he got back on. I mean, I think they. Um, he he didn't sort of uh, make a. He made a fuss very openly, and then kind of blustered and got on with it, and then they had him back. But it's right. um, an interesting program because but, he. Uh, Another major changing point, which I, I, a turning point, which, which you made brilliantly, was that when he stopped dyeing his hair. Yeah. Because suddenly at that point, I guess he, he was no longer attempting to be the sex symbol. You know, because we all associate Tom Jones with people throwing knickers at him and all that kind of nonsense, you know. And uh, then, then it was kind of like, well, take me seriously, I'm a singer. Was, uh, I, that's I, what happened, I wasn't it? I think that was the biggest career move he's ever made. That was the biggest decision. I remember it, it got through to everybody. My parents sort of said, oh, he looks a lot better now. Really? He just suddenly looked like a kind he of... Did. Rick Rubenized kind of grizzled um, legend of the industry instead of this sort of strange permatan sort of Death in Venice style. Stopping, but, um, stopping dyeing your hair is such a key thing. Is it like it Paul, is. Paul McCartney's done this, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah, uh, and actually, it far better. His son is the the guy who's sort of in charge of this restyling. His son's been on the road with him since he was sixteen years old, and right. there was a running joke in the, loads of interviews that I read where it was like they would say that the son looks like an older version of Tom. That's have right. You, have you seen the reformed? And, and actually, the son is only seventeen years younger. Isn't have yeah. you seen? Have you seen the reformed crowd of the house? No. Uh, crowd of the house, which which uh, numbers among its ranks two of Neil Finn's sons, both of whom look older than he did. Amazing. Because he he's just got he's got that thing. He's Neil he's Finn. Boyish. Yeah. He's Neil Finn. He's, he's boyish. boyish. And he's, he's got, got loads of grey hair. Yeah. And he sort of looks younger than they yeah. do. <laughs> That's a really odd thing. Did you find? Uh, you were talking to him via Zoom. 
did you find that he was kind of appreciating the opportunity to just talk? Well, he, you know, once, he once said, I love being interviewed. And uh, if I wasn't being interviewed, I'd go in the, find someone in the room to tell my story to. Because <laughs> I got the impression that he was just one of those people who cannot survive without attention. You know, they can understand it. And if you've been in showbiz for 60, 60 years or whatever, you just, you're lost without it, you know. And it's almost odd. I mean, not sort of to downplay the New Statesman, which is a great august organ that's been around for 101, 102 years or something. But I was almost surprised that he, you know, he's someone who's in the Daily Mail all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and Oh, no, I wasn't surprised by that at all. I mean, the New, <laughs> new Statesman's a pretty cool thing to be doing. I know, maybe I'm being modest to it. No, I think you are. I mean, that's just really good. You know, the idea that he's got that kind of left-wing kind of acceptance, you know, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. You know. And then also the, the, the time I was given, I sort of wanted an hour and they gave me an hour and I was like, this, this is you know he doesn't need to do any of this at all yeah. so if someone doesn't need to do it and they do you know that it's part of their their life it's yes. like literally gives him the energy to be tom jones is to be constantly interviewed about himself and he he just loves it and he doesn't stop talking you have to lob questions over the top <laughs> and <laughs> it reminds me a bit of sean Ryder, who's the other person that is kind of a you know he just sort of it writes itself in a funny kind of way because he didn't mind being interrupted. He yes, you said that. Yeah. Mind being interrupted. <laughs> it's a strange, I, strange thing. I love the, the the bit about, you know, you're making the point he's made a kind of whole career out of testosterone and masculinity. And there he is with his kind of shirt slashed to the waist and the hairy chest and the medallions where it was, you know, in the mid-60s. And then he suddenly he's supporting the stones and realizes that actually the people's idea of masculinity has completely changed. And the yeah. effeminate Mick Jagger is what people are interested in. That was 1964, so yeah. my yeah. terrible, but how old would he have been then? I mean... He would have been... Uh, well, God, I'll work it out. Well, he would have been 21 yeah. or something yeah. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and he, he made this kind of... Uh, he realised at that moment, I am never going to appeal to these women who are speaking yeah. to Jagger. So he, he thought, instead of thinking, I'm going to try and be like Jagger, he thought, I've got to do what I do. And he got a slightly older audience. So he got the Vegas audience, he got the Flamingo yeah, residency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was huge in America. I think that's the thing. And it, what's really interesting is in all the old press, he was in this constant battle with PJ Proby. That was the person that he was always compared to. And that's been like lost to time because, and Proby said, oh, you're, you're never going to be a sex symbol. And it was obviously a fake battle. They kind of, they, I think they used to go drink. Well, it was a press built thing, was it? it was like Beatles versus Stones thing. and, you know, Bowie versus T-Rex or whatever. Yeah, but, that just, that shows how how much he kind of hit that side of the pond and, and was a kind of, and he was on Manson's hit list, which is, which is. Yeah, I didn't know that. Now tell us that story, because they, they had him down for as a possible person to be assassinated. And how were they going to do that? I, I, yeah, so in the, in the trial, it came out that he was on the list alongside Steve McQueen and Elizabeth Taylor. And um, they, they decided that the, the best way of, of dispatching Jones would be for one of Manson's women to seduce him and slit his throat while they were oh having sex. Oh God! Dear, oh dear. <laughs> that was where he fell in in their in popular imagination. He was just a massive shagger, even in you know 60, 68, 69 or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. His marriage survived it all. I do find that absolutely astonishing, really, because it was no kind of secret, was it, that he was a huge playboy you know I mean I just think I've heard people say this about uh, open relationships and it always makes me feel a bit sort of sad inside but it's not just they don't talk about it they don't talk about the not talking the, I mean you yeah, yeah, a yeah, really yeah. good point yeah really good point it just becomes this thing and it's obviously you know he could have uh, left his wife if he wanted and he didn't so there was something there that was very strong they met when they were 12 but I, I get the impression she just had to put up with it from very very early on and, and they probably had something that nobody else would have had and you know very well isn't it isn't it in the George is it the George Harrison film where Olivia yes it is the widow yeah. is interviewed how do you stay married and she says don't get divorced yeah yeah <laughs> they're like yeah, that's the truth. Exactly. That's the truth. That's there very is, telling because they are. There is trained. no spouse of a rock star who doesn't know what's going on, but yeah. prefers yeah. not to think about and it. And they very cleverly get across the fact that George was the major shagger of the Beatles, <laughs> you know, but they don't quite spell it out very, very sweetly, you know. <laughs> McCartney's asked about it. He said, uh, he said, well, he was a red-blooded male and yeah. you know interested in all the things that red-blooded males are interested in it was very very interesting I guess with anything like that there's if it's happened a few times that's the point where you would leave right and if yeah. it 
then it does just becomes a situation. Why would you leave twenty years later if it's just yeah, ab- yeah. Yes. it's gone too far. Yeah. A thousand women. <laughs> that's the final straw. <laughs> when you tried it up with my I'm mother. <laughs> One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So what's next, Kate? We always, um, we, we, I always used to joke at, at Word that you're always interested in profiling older gentlemen in popular music. Well, they're getting older. This is the problem. <laughs> I, I used to be interested in the sort of 50, 60-year-olds, but now they're 80. <laughs> well, actually, the oldest person I interviewed recently was James Lovelock, who was 100. Oh, right. And then I just did the nature writer, Richard Maybe, who was on his 80th birthday. And then now John, Tom Jones is, is 80. So I don't quite know what's going on. Honestly, this is some unconscious force. I can't control it. But you've Are got you... a very good way of identifying it's those fantastic. people who just aren't written about. Absolutely. You know, Glenn uh, Campbell you wrote a lot about. And, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, of some other yeah, ones. Yeah, Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. Did Bruce Hornsby, absolutely. And then I suppose you've got, you've got those ones and then you've got the ones who are in the press all the time with no depth whatsoever written about them. And then you yeah. think, well, that's just kind of a, a dream because there must be something here that, you know, isn't getting talked about. I, I mean, I'd always love to do Elton John, but I don't think we can get Elton John. Um, right. Another one who's, I mean, he also, you never know, Kate. You know, after you. your, listen, it's a fantastic piece. It's a wonderful <laughs> piece. And we do recommend people should, um, should get it. Should actually go and buy it. It's yes, a, should. It's a, a should. thumping good read. It's extremely and it can, good. It contains my favourite use of the word undercarriage in the last <laughs> over the last few. What years. was that phrase? It's brilliant about Listerine. No, 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 you buy it to find out. In fact, that's right. It is List, incredibly Listerine funny. Listerine is undercarriage. Yeah, look, <laughs> maybe laugh out loud. <laughs> Thank you very much. Great, lovely to talk to you. And uh, when this bloody war is over, we'll 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 join a rounded pub table. Yeah, uh, we'll look forward to doing we that. We will. That'd be fun. Points. Brilliant. Cheers, Kate. Good Bye. to see you. Bye. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Return to something we were talking about last week, actually, which is that we we discovered in recent weeks that you can get a Ramones T-shirt at Marks and Spencers, and so so obviously the Rock T-shirts has gone. Very much mainstream. We were talking about the you know Rolling Stones, who you know the most valuable thing that they own is the the lips and tongue logo, and uh, and uh, we were talking about acts who who um who maybe sell more T-shirts than they sell records, or where the T-shirt where the logo has been worth a lot, and uh, I was corresponding with Owen Parker about this, who uh, previously friend of the pod who's been on the podcast, and Owen sent me this clip of interview of. Martin Freeman being interviewed by Tim Lovejoy on TV. And Tim Lovejoy uh, is wearing a Ramones T-shirt. And Martin Freeman says, go on, tell me, name a member of the Ramones. And, of course, Tim Lovejoy can't well, really no, do it. He, he can do it because, actually, they've, they've got their <laughs> names written on the T-shirt. So it goes, well, there's Joey and then there's Dee Dee. <laughs> 
But then Martin says to him, Martin then says, all right, okay, okay, give name me two albums by the Ramones. Just two. And he can't, can't name it. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And so uh, that's very much the kind of a classic old purist argument, really, isn't it? You know, we were, we were just talking about this, whether, whether there's anything in that argument, because I personally thought, you know, Martin Freeman was, was going a bit far in that particular context, really, because it's a fashion item. You know, millions of people wear those things without any idea. I, no, I agree with you, actually, because I think there's two types of people. Like, like, take the Rolling Stones logo. If somebody wears the Rolling Stones tongue, you get the impression walking down the street and you see them in the high road. You think they're probably not a major hardcore Rolling Stones fan. They're just somebody. If, if they're fact, a marketing they're, executive and it's the weekend. They're definitely not a major. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it's the if weekend. you're a really hardcore. A Rolling real Stones. Rolling Stones, you would have a, a, a kind of um, Earl's Court. 1976 t-shirt yes. really really faded stained t-shirt yeah. yeah. pointing out that you've been flying the flag for years you know yeah and i think there's just two types of people but it does really interest me that and i think there's um i, I was just looking up various groups who, who did sell a lot of t-shirts so it doesn't surprise you does it acdc oh right the groups that just really really stand for something sublime van halen oh really yeah van halen too yeah slayer and there's various that I think must sell a lot because it's all about representing a particular attitude, isn't it? Velvet Underground must, surely, I would have thought. Well, I don't know, because it will depend who owns the, um, who owns the bits of artwork, which we'll come to in a minute, because, Alex, you were saying when we were talking about this the other day that you think people ought to earn the right to wear T-shirts. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, well, well I, can't, I sort of know in my heart of hearts that I'm... I'm a little bit wonky in this opinion, but it's, <laughs> I mean, fandom is built on snobbery, isn't it? Really? Certainly. And, and yeah. you know, um, this is this is my band. This is my club. And I've earned the rights to wear this T-shirt through years of dogged fandom, <laughs> listening to the, the very yeah. worst of their earth. I've, I've bought all their terrible rights. I've been to their I've worst stuck, gigs. I've, yeah. stuck, stuck I've with suffered. From definitely maybe through even be here now. And I'm still here. I have earned the right to wear this 1999 T-shirt. And you, my friend, cannot name Bonehead from Quigs. Even knowing who Bonehead is, does that's hardcore, isn't it? That's, that's, you know, that's, that's the acid test, really. That's, it that's, is. Yeah. Um, but I can, I can understand where Martin Freeman comes from. Because, you know, if I'm walking down the street and I see someone wearing a Rolling Stones tongue logo T-shirt, for example, and they do not look like a Rolling Stones fan, there's a part of me that feels a little bit sad and angry at the same time. But, and I don't but, know okay. Why, but... Who, what does a Rolling Stones fan look like? He looks like a member of the public. Because... It's everybody. It's no, no, everybody. No, no. Yeah. You can tell they, they exude an energy. that You, you can just... You can, you can tap into their aura. <laughs> No, really, the fan gives off an aura. You can, you, can, you just know, you just know. Oh well, okay. there are certain fans who do look similar. I think Grateful Dead fans. Uh, anybody in a Grateful Dead T-shirt tends to look extraordinarily kind of. Uh, don't you think kind of a psychedelic nerd, kind of very little bit like uh, look a bit like Jerry Garcia? So. I suppose so. There's a there's a there's a beard involved. You know, uh, I don't know. But it's funny we're talking about the the. Um, you know, people who've done well out of T-shirts. And Owen was, was saying to me that um, that Frankie Goes to Hollywood didn't make any money out of the music, but they did quite well out of T-shirts. Which I is a like, massive irony. <laughs> it's really irony. It is, because, yeah. Because they didn't make any money out of the music, which they didn't play, <laughs> apart from, you know, Holly Johnson, fair enough. Um, but they did make a lot of money out of T-shirts, which they didn't design. Yeah. Because... And that's a really interesting case. You know, Frankie say all that stuff that happened in when 84, 85. Yeah. It was absolutely a phenomenon, wasn't it? Everybody yeah, the live had aid t shirts have... that run everybody wants well, to run it, the world. All that and came all, out of all Frankie. That, no, it didn't. It all came out of Catherine Hamlet, first of all. Yeah, yeah. The you know, the fashion designer who famously turned up at, at Downing Street and was pictured shaking hands with Margaret Thatcher wearing a, a huge T-shirt saying, what is it, 97% don't want Pershing or whatever it was. Yeah. It was about Greenham Common, wasn't it, and so forth. Uh, and um, so that was that was picked up by Frankie Goes to Hollywood and became a very big thing and then was picked up by loads of other people as well. So 
Who owns but an idea that, like that? That's you, what interests me. Yeah, and you you tip me off about uh, the debate that's going on about Nirvana, which, if I can sum it up, as far as I can see, Nirvana are suing Mark Jacobs, I think, the fashion, fashion designer. Label, yeah, for using their Nirvana smiley face as a logo on T-shirts. Yeah. But Nirvana, the two surviving members of Nirvana, which would be Chris Novoselic and Dave Grohl, can't remember who, who actually invented that thing, which is fair enough. And now a Californian designer, I think, has just claimed that he invented it. But, interesting pop fact, the logo itself wouldn't sell and has no value at all unless it has the words Nirvana on it. This is it. Because otherwise it's not really their logo. You're not quite sure, it's, if everyone remembers it, it's that smiley face with the kind of crossed out eyes and the kind yeah. of stoned-looking version of a smiley face. But, I mean, it doesn't mean anything unless it, it says Nirvana. So, actually, Nirvana do have a right to to, oh, to some percentage from that, you know. Um, how, I, I mean, if you're a judge and, you know, that case is put in front of you, it's a bloody nightmare. How would you unravel that? Because you got, you know, how it was designed and then you got the associations it's had over the years and the places it might have appeared. And, you know, how, how do you possibly work it out? So, Velvet Underground, Maybe it's very difficult for Velvet Underground to, well, whoever owns Velvet Underground copyright, to to uh, appropriate their their images because all that stuff came from the Andy Warhol estate, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and that will be very closely lawyered when the Andy Warhol estate, you know, got onto that very very early on. You know, that it was all about selling images of yourself and it doesn't matter if you yeah yeah you duplicate yeah. it millions and millions of times not a problem at all and that's why you end up with ramones t-shirts and Morris suspensers yeah because it's just it it's just another part of the brand isn't it and it's another iteration of the brand it's and who knows in in the years to come it may be remembered long after the music has been forgotten who was the group that you mentioned? That was it. Pop will eat itself. That's what I mean. That's I mean, interesting, yes, isn't it? Pop will eat itself. Yeah, yeah. Which maybe it's just one of those, you know, one of those phrases that, that lends itself. It's a good to phrase. It. In fact, you can understand it has some value even if you don't yeah. know it's a pop group. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you, anybody knows any more, you know, uh, please get in touch. Let us know. This this could run and run. The word podcast. Clearly, there is no plan. So Sky Sports got in touch with me the other day uh, and wanted to know why, it, it, with the Euros coming up this summer, why the, the, the old uh, tradition of the football record, the national team doing their own football record, appeared to have gone away and wasn't going to come back at all. So that's our Ooh, topic. That's our lots topic. of reasons. Go what on. Do you what, you say, what do you tell no, Well, I can tell you a few of mine. I, I, I think, um, and it's funny, I can hardly remember them now. All the way was that the 1988 one? Uh, oh, uh, world oh, in motion, 1990. We we got the whole world at our feet. I don't know. I think back, I've got various home, theories. I, I give you a little bit of potted history. In 1966, which is the only time England has ever won a card tournament, they didn't have a tune. There wasn't an England tune. They had one in 1970 back home where they were going to. Yeah. That was taking place in, in Mexico, wasn't it? They'll be thinking about us home, back home. Uh, and then later on, it, it, it got it got repeated. And then you, you got the the arrival of, uh, of the New Order thing in 1990, I think. Yeah, it was, yeah. Which is a, kind of a exceptional thing. And uh, and then it kind of it's fallen away since then. You know, you got you got three lions, but that's obviously not involving the team. That's that's. Well, you know. I, no, I've got I've got I've got three or four theories, and I'll try them out on you. First one is that the modern footballer is seen as a kind of slick, capable professional, a man in a in a one hundred and fifty thousand pound car, earning you know a million a week incredibly aware of and looking for advertising options, brand building. Um, you know, your image of the modern footballer is something like Marcus Rashford now, I think. You know, and I think that they're very unkeen on being seen to be kind of amateur at anything. Because the whole thing about the England squad is it's just a load of people who can't sing, isn't it? Get in the studio, have a bit of a laugh. That somehow seems a step down from yeah, this kind of fabulous professionalism they're trying to get across. Point two... I don't think there's that sense of England's uh, squad 
as a as a gang anymore. Actually, I think there was a series of individuals out to make their mark, out to establish, out to get some kind of uh, career gain from it. You because you can't get pictures of them now going out to pubs beforehand. You know. Um, you don't get any idea that they are a group of friends. They're just a load of people, possibly yeah. warring, actually. Possibly possibly there's a lot of animosity. Thirdly, I don't think you get the feeling these days that any footballers tend to have much of a sense of humour because they don't dare be funny on Twitter in case whatever it is they say is misconstrued and there's some kind of catastrophe. The people who are funny, the footballers who are funny, are ex-footballers. Peter Crouch, really funny. Everything he says is hilarious. That's because he can afford to. He's got nothing to lose. But anybody who's actually in is a footballer at the moment. I think he's very, very concerned about doing anything kind of remotely humorous. And lastly, I think Three Lions actually has made it impossible because Three Lions is the new national anthem. It cannot be improved upon. It's a brilliant song. It's a brilliant song. The whole point of Three Lions is that two guys who either can't sing or are pretending they can't sing, Frank Skinner and David Baddiel, are encouraging you to join in to a bit of community singing. And you think, well, if Frank Skinner can sing like that, I, I mean, then I might as well join in. And yeah. I think, I think, you know, I, I think that is impossible to beat that song. I, I, re- I personally really like it. No, that, it's a fantastic. But the, but the same thing wouldn't apply to the, you know, the kind of national song of the Holland team or the German team or whatever, you know, because no, it wouldn't. But, but, but what, what applies to all of them is you can't make any money out of a record anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because there's there's no Woolworths. You know, yeah. you're not you're not going to sell a million copies or whatever. And also the money it would make would be just, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's you know, meaningless for footballers yeah. who pay 400 grand a week or whatever. Yeah, not remote. There's no you know, incentive. I'll tell, tell you what, I'll tell you what's quite interesting, what you talk about the England team. One of the curious manifestations of, uh, of kind of social media is you can see, if you go and look on YouTube, whenever the England team gather to play some meaningless friendly or, or take part in the tournament or whatever. They um, they all set off to um, wherever the HQ is, somewhere in, in the Midlands, isn't it? I can't forget where it is at the moment. Forgive me. And they converge on this place from all points of the nation. And they're conveyed there in blacked out people carriers, you know, driven by chauffeurs, liveried chauffeurs, you know, and uh, and these these their arrivals at this place are all captured on film, and you can see them. And I'm not ashamed to say I have sat for sometimes half an hour and watched England footballers arrive at the training place, get their bags out of the boot, have it handed to them by the chauffeur, then go up the ramp into the place where they're, they're carrying their boots, which they then give to somebody who puts them in a, in a plastic bag. You know, they're handed their bits and pieces. They shake hands. No, they do kind of, they don't shake hands. It's fist bumps and so yeah. forth. Uh, with the males. And, and in, in pre-COVID times, they exchange a decorous social kiss with the lady who's part of the team. And then they all, they all go through. And I'm sorry, you sit and watch it. Yeah. Because famous footballers, our relationship with them is kind of like famous rock stars. We really, we don't care what they say. We want to look at them. Yeah. We want to look at them really closely. We want to see what they're like in real life. Yeah. You know? and, and that, to me, is kind of more powerful than having all of them gathered around a piano in the top of the op studio wearing Pringle sweaters, you know, Holding, head, forced holding headphones yeah. rather unconvincingly to their yeah. ears yeah. while they join in, in in some moment of enforced jollity. You know, it's kind of the, the, the song just seems an utterly, utterly, you know, redundant idea. Although the only thing I did say to Sky is I bet somewhere in China or Russia or the former Soviet Union right now, some 14 year old genius is developing some item of social media that we haven't seen yet, which will happen round about the Euros and will bring together music and pictures and sports 
in some way you wouldn't have dreamed of before. Yeah. And that will carry that kind of that power into the new world, you know, because you can't go back and, no, uh, and think you make it like it was in 1970 or, or 1990 or, or whenever, you know. So it's... Uh, Darryl, I, 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 I can't see there'll be another. And I do think the Three Lions thing is an important part of it because I think people people love that song. I think people would rather be singing that song because it has a resonance now that goes back 30 it's years. Also, it's also, it's also, it celebrates failure. Yes, it never, does. Never, never goes away. Yeah, never goes away. You're covered yeah, by the idea. It might not. Well, it's not that kind of ludicrous optimism as that we're going to win. <laughs> oh, we it's, have one. It's, it's unbearable. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. I, I, I don't know, we have any Scottish listeners who can bear listening to three lines? I wouldn't be surprised if we do, you know, because it, it's about yeah. failure. It is. It's not saying we're the best. It's saying yeah. we once were. It's that we once were really good a long time ago, and we're still trying. <laughs> we're holding a little guttering candle Absolutely. of hope here. That's the one thing. yeah. yeah. Really. The thing that unifies football supporters, you know, in all times and all ages is is failure. Because we all know what that feels like. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. All right. Any other business? I I must mention uh, the Brit Trust are doing an auction on Wednesday, uh, an online auction, which you can you can witness, no doubt, uh, no doubt bid yourself if you want to. It's a charity auction uh, where a lot of white labels are, are being auctioned. And uh, we'll put the link, uh, we'll put the link with this, um, with this podcast. But I think if you want to know, you can go and look at Omega Auctions on Wednesday. And they've got uh, the likes of... Uh, Blondie's Plastic Letters, T-Rex, Electric Warrior, uh, various signed uh, items, Eric Clapton, copy Disraeli gear, white labels signed by Eric Clapton uh, and so forth. So it's it's the new area of, uh, of rare records. Find it, I find it extraordinary the white label is so collectible, really. Well, I don't I know, know why. Because then you think when you get... You've got a white label of that, haven't you? I've got a white label of that. See, that's amazing. That's got to be worth some money. <laughs> Look at that! Oh my lord! I, I just, How did you get it from HMB, presumably? I got it from the yeah, I got it from the Island Rep at the uh, at the that's time. That's amazing. The, also, Venus yeah, well, that's Mars, good. The, the, the white, I, but also, there's the white label. There's all the bits of hypnosis of artwork. Fantastic! That's got to be valuable. But I just think, where do you get? Alternate sleeves and you know and rare records by 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 obscure groups. I can really imagine the excitement of owning those. But a white label is a white label. It doesn't give me that extraordinary. It never occurred to me that they no, might have me. any value at all. Not to uh, me. I was uh, looking at a little site the other day, and it was a rare record site, and there was an album uh, uh, called Dog Feet by a British band called Dog Feet, uh, which was a thousand pounds. And you think I, I could really like to hear that. I've never heard of this group. There's one called Leafhound, who have an album called Growers of Mushroom. 5,000 quid, English prog rock band. Big oh, influence on the God. stoner movement. You think, well, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. But a white label, I don't know. It's a good idea. But well, also in further further public appeals, Jeff Reese, uh, friend of the pod, um, Patreon supporter, he's... Uh, he and, and, and he's got a project putting together to... Um, I'll read this. My friend has a stand, CD standalone bookcase that we noted noticed recently is full of terrible CDs. <laughs> I hope he hasn't told this person. We thought after a few beers that we would fill it with the best 100 CDs, lock it up and make a time capsule of it, maybe make an online version of it too, only to be, only to be opened in 2012. Since I'm in the member of the most discerning music lovers on the planet, and here he's talking about you, word in your ear, listeners, I thought it would be great to ask them to come up with a list of the greatest 100 albums of all time, send them to us, we'll then buy them and stick them in the CD bookcase. The rules are only one album per artist, so we can't have all the Beatles LPs, unfortunately. So um, he's, he's reaching out, as the, as the modern parlance is, to the Word in Your Ear community and uh, seeing if you'd care to come uh, to contribute your... I don't know if he wants list 100. Yeah, he probably does want list 100. And uh, we'll provide some kind of link at the end of this with this podcast as to how you can, uh, you can get involved. Is that fair enough, Alex? Absolutely, yes. 
And as I say, uh, Jeff is, uh, we, we've, we've seen Jeff, we've been in Jeff's attic, haven't we? Because he's, we he's been one of our birthday, birthday guests. birthday uh, subscriber. Uh, and so he renaded us on his guitar as well. He did. He he's, did. A gu he's a guitar teacher. And um, uh, we continue to, to celebrate people's birthdays. We had a fantastic one this week, didn't we? Brilliant one. Absolutely. Uh, well, is that Patrick Crowther? Patrick Crowther in Italy. In Italy. Oh, my marvelous. God, he was prepared. He spent. We he didn't have to he, say a word. <laughs> just, it's very funny. He said he'd become a subscriber. I think it was eleven months ago. And then just after he'd have eleven months. So he just missed his birthday. He'd have eleven months to prepare. And I think he had spent a large percentage of the last eleven months and it working was, away at those. And choices. it was worthwhile because he God, had it was terrific. Fantastic stuff. Oh, it's so fantastic funny. stuff. So if you'd like to join that uh, that happy band, um, be a Patreon supporter. We'd love to have you. And, uh, and the place you find out all about it is patreon.com slash word in your ear. And if you haven't already found out about it, we should tell you now that we're returning to an in-person event in July, on July the... I'm looking at you, Alex. 17th, which is a Saturday. And uh, this is not a word in your ear. This is not a word in your attic. This is a word in your park. And it's in Holland to, Park in London. Thanks to the good office of Opera Holland Park. This takes place in their covered auditorium, uh, canopied auditorium. And we've had a contractual, special signed contractual agreement with them that the weather will be brilliant. It's they said, be, it said it cost a little bit extra. But if you, you want, if you sign this, it'll be glorious sunshine. Absolutely. From dawn to dusk. So, so it's between that. two and four in the afternoon on July the 17th, which you may be aware is also record store day. So there may be people outside London who might be making a day of it, come in, come in, go to the shops, turn up a word in your ear in the afternoon, a very civilised way to spend the afternoon, go out for dinner in the evening. Who knows? What a wonderful, <laughs> what a wonderful prospect. I'm looking forward to it myself. So if you want to find out more details about that, where would you do that, Alex? Where would you go? You go to wiyelondon.com. Okay, uh, and there's a ticket widget on the front page of the website. And okay, so please, uh, please do that because we'd love to see you. Yeah. Any, anything we've got to add? Anything further? We well, have to we, add we this have program. Questions. Oh, good. Okay. Oh, go on. And they are Tim Hardy. Hello, Tim. welcome aboard, Tim. Come on, Tim. Zoe <laughs> File. Sorry, I missed that. Zoe File. Hello, Excellent. Zoe. Hello, Zoe. pull up a chair, Zoe. Andrew Heavens. Hello, oh, Andrew Terrific. Heavens. Heavens. <laughs> Fantastic. Very good. Andy that can't be Clayton. real. Sorry, Andy, Andy Clayton. Clayton. Hello, Andy. Blended. Andy C. One word. Andy. Wow, that's okay. Interesting. Fine. Yeah. Great name. Yeah. yeah. Carl with a K. Martin. Very good. Oh, Carl Hello, with a K. Carl. Hello. And John Wright, who's an annual patron. So okay, terrific. You get a 15% discount. And so, you get the possibility that you can have a birthday special yeah. with us. Yeah, which yeah. We've done quite a few of recently. They've been a lot of fun. They, they have. And what else have we done recently? We did, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Bernie Marsden, who was fantastic. Oh, uh, God, he was terrific. So funny and so utterly likeable. Have and, we put up the, the Richard Thompson's have been put up? No, that's going out in the next, well, maybe uh, next day or so. That'll be going right. Good. So yeah. we, we were delighted to talk to Richard Thompson, who was absolutely fascinating and charming. He was. Ever. Uh, and uh, Ricky Lee Jones, you've already you've already heard. Um, Joel Selvin, that was good. Joel Selvin, you yeah. know. So there's there's tons there to catch up with. And uh, do you ever read the comments under these things? Yes. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and Michael, whenever I have a book come out, Mark always says, have you read the reviews? I said, Mark, I never read the reviews. Never. Read. I just do not do it. Mark says, why don't you do it? I said, you never do it. Because all you ever remember in a review is not anything nice anybody said. All you ever remember is something slighting. It's a fact. It's life. so true. It's, it's exactly the same with Twitter, isn't it? It's, people only talk about the, the negative things. So thousands and, of them. And so... I just happened to look under the comments under one of these. I can't even remember which one it was. And the overwhelming majority of people's comments are really sweet and really nice, you know, and that's great. And then you just get the old one going, 
this is only 25 minutes. What's going on? And you go, <laughs> mate, it's, 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 you know, you it's can access this for free. Anything. Yeah. And, and, you know, I couldn't help being reminded of the old, uh, you know, old joke, uh, you know, Woody Allen used to tell, used to, used to tell about, oh, the food's terrible and such small portions. Small portions, that's right. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.